just so good, everybody. Please have a seat. See you all today, and good to see many of you back after uh, time away, or perhaps you were battling illness. God is so good to us. Um, he is a good God, isn't He? Oh, He's good. Let's give Him a hand. Let's give God a hand this morning. Woo, He's good. I want to thank also those of you that stepped forward the last couple weeks and served maybe in new places uh, and new ministries as church so we could gather and worship. We're so thankful for you and for you responding to God's calling upon your life. It's time now for us to bring our children to the front. And kids, I want you guys to come up here. If you're a child or a child at art, you can come up here and come on up here and have a seat right up here. Good to see you guys today. You know, a sign of God's blessing on his church is children, and you guys are a blessing to us, and we're so glad, glad to see you this morning. Hey, Ava, good to see you. Is that everybody? Are all the kids here that want to be here? It's good to see Addison here, cast free. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Yes. She'll be running up here real soon, I bet. You'll be chasing her all around the place, Laura. All right, so... You know, it's funny, in Key West, some of you don't have shoes on, and my thing is about tying our shoes today, but that's okay. Some of you do, and we got flip-flops. Does anybody have a pair of shoes on that ties? Me. Okay, we got one. All right, Danielle. How many of you guys know how to tie your shoes? Anybody here know how to tie shoes? Yeah? How, who taught you how to tie your shoes? Does anybody remember? One of your parents did, taught you? Yeah. A friend, Novella, taught you how to tie your shoes? What about, do you remember, Danielle? Your dad taught you? I taught myself. You taught yourself? You just woke up one day and it just happened? No, you don't remember. Do you, Kelly, do you remember who taught her how to tie her shoes? Ava. Ava, sorry. She did teach herself. Well, that's amazing. Well, I guess I don't have a sermon now because it's all about learning from other people. <laughs> Steph, if you're Ava, then you teach yourself. So we, we, we all learned how to tie our shoes from somebody, didn't we? right? How about you adults? Did someone teach you? You probably don't remember because it was like a hundred years ago. That's what the kids are thinking, right? We had shoes when I was a kid and someone taught me how to tie my shoes. You know, it's interesting about tying your shoes. Most of us tie our shoes because someone showed us how to do that, right? Yeah? And then, and then how do we tie our shoes? Are there certain things we do to tie our shoes? Like, do you just say, tie and then all of a sudden they're tied does anybody have a nursery rhyme they use to tie their shoes what bunny ear bunny ear tie a loop any adults use that one out there no miss bim miss bim uses that one. anybody else have one that you same as okay good Bunny ear, bunny ear, tie loop. Now, what's interesting about tying your shoes is when you tie your shoes, you, so you start with two laces, right? Just like this, right? And then I do it this way. I go around like this, and then I make a loop around the loop, through the hole, rabbit goes through the hole, and then it's tied just like that. So I tied my shoes by doing like five things in a row, right? And then my shoe's tied. Did you know that Jesus wants us to live the same way? Okay, let me show you something. Jesus wants us to show other people not just how to tie their shoes, but he wants us to show them how God wants us to live. He wants us to teach other people what Jesus wants us to do with our lives. And specifically, he wants us to tell other people about Jesus. And then, on top of that, 
when we're telling people about Jesus, God wants us to tell them simple acts of obedience in following Jesus. Now, tell me what a simple act of obedience is to follow Jesus. Sophie. Tell, sharing the gospel, telling people about Jesus. What else? I know. Yeah? Making sure they... You don't know. Okay. If you think, you can tell me later. How about one more? Anybody else? What, what does the Bible say? What are we supposed to do to, to honor God? Love and follow him. Love and follow him? Yeah. Share the gospel. How about obey our parents? Does it say that anywhere in the Bible? The kids are dumbfounded. Y'all didn't teach them that yet? They're supposed to obey their parents. Okay. So we're supposed to not only tell people, bring people along with us the way we did when we learned how to tie our shoes. We're also supposed to teach them to follow Jesus the same way that we follow Jesus through simple acts of obedience. All right, word of the day today is obedience, all right? So go back to your seats with your parents. Thank you guys so much. You did a great job. All right, church, I want to invite you now to open up your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 10. The book of Acts chapter 10. The point of the message this morning is so simple that even our youngest children can get it. The point of the message today as we look at Acts chapter 10 is when serving Jesus, when serving Jesus, bring a buddy and do what he says. When serving Jesus, bring a buddy and do what he says. Look now in Acts chapter 10. So a lot of things happened to bring us up to Acts chapter 10, right? So Peter has uh, left Jerusalem. He's gone into Samaria and seen that God is doing a great work there, that Samaritans are being saved. So Peter is now in the uh, Palestine area sharing the gospel. God takes him to this place called Lydda and Sharon, two cities real close to each other. He goes there. There's a man paralyzed for eight years. God uses Peter to go to that city and to heal that man, and that man's up and walking. The Bible says that everybody in those cities believes in Jesus. Some miraculous things are happening. Now, these are still Israelites. These are not Gentiles. Gentiles. These are Jews who are believing in Jesus. Then, then the people of Joppa send for Peter, and they say, this old lady whom we love, uh, she's, she's died. We want you to come to our town. So this lady's dead, Right? But she had served widows, she had made clothes for them, and she was near and dear to their hearts. So they call for Peter. Peter goes, through the power of Jesus, raises this lady from the dead. And it says, in mass, people are turning from their sin and trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior. So now Peter's in Joppa. Meanwhile, the writer of the book of Acts, his name is Luke, he shifts our focus now to this centurion soldier named Cornelius. Cornelius has a vision. In this vision, an angel of God comes to him and says, Cornelius, you're, you're a God-fearer, and God has seen your love for him. And, God, uh, and that has risen up into the presence of God as a memorial, as an act of worship. And so he says, I want you to send some of your men to Joppa to get a man named Peter, also called Simon. He's staying at a, at a house of a man who's a tanner, also named Simon, by the sea. So immediately Cornelius obeys God and sends three men out to Joppa from 
uh, Caesarea so that they can go and fetch this guy named Peter who's going to have a message for him. Meanwhile, Peter is in Joppa. Almost simultaneously, Peter has a vision from God, right? This big sheet comes down from heaven. It's full of all of these animals, many of whom are unclean, which means a good Jew would never eat these animals like a pig or a snake. Now the voice in the vision tells Peter, I want you to get up, I want you to kill and eat those animals. Peter says, I never ever would do that. I do, not, I do not eat unclean things. I don't mix myself with unclean things and people. I will not do that. Three times in that vision, the voice tells him to get up and eat. Finally, Peter's vision is over. And he's trying to figure out what's going on. What, did that, what, what in the world was that? Was it something I ate last night or was that legitimately from God? Well, a few moments later, Peter has another vision. He says, hey, I'm sending someone to you. I've already spoken to them. They're going to come and get you, and you need to go with them because they need to hear what you have to say. And so Peter now finishes his vision, and there's uh, some people at the gate yelling for him, and that's kind of where we get to right now in, in Acts chapter 10, verse 23. What we're going to see first in the ministry and the life of Peter is that we are called as a church, as believers, to serve together and to walk through open doors, to serve together and to walk through open doors. Look at verse 23. Three people arrive, three people arrive from Cornelius' house in Caesarea. They're now in Joppa. They're at the gates of Simon's house where Peter's staying. And this is kind of where we catch up to our text. Peter then invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day he got up and set out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went with him. The following day he entered Caesarea, now Cornelius was expecting them, and they called together his relatives and his close friends. So there's something important happening here. First, notice that Peter didn't go to Caesarea alone. Later in the book of Acts 10, verse 45, in Acts chapter 11, we learn that Peter brought six believers with him. Six Jewish circumcised men went with Peter to Cornelius' house. Now, this is important, and the question is why? Well, first we learn that almost all ministry in the book of Acts is done in teams. We, we almost never see anybody doing any kind of ministry alone. I think this is important for two primary reasons. God was about to do something revolutionary. You see, God is sending Peter to go into the home of a Gentile to share the gospel. And, and in next week's message... And when we get there in the book of Acts, Peter's going to share the gospel with Cornelius and his whole house. They're all going to believe the Holy Spirit's going to fall upon them and they're going to be saved. And this is a first in the history of salvation. In the Bible, the first time we see in the New Testament, in Mass, we start to see Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus. So I think that God, one, works in teams. Number two, I think God called, asked Peter to take other believers, other Jewish believers with him so that later they're going to stand up in Jerusalem in front of other pastors and other Jewish believers. They're going to testify, listen, I was there in Cornelius' house. Peter presented the gospel and Gentiles were saved and that was evidenced by the fact that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So God's all over this. So it looks like God, uh, that Jesus didn't just come for Jews, but he came for Gentiles as well. So these six men are going to stand and testify about that later. So I think first and, and, and foremost, 
these men are with Peter so they can kind of back up his testimony that God is, in fact, not just saving Jews. He's saving Gentiles. Second, I want you to notice that Cornelius called together his relatives and his close friends. It's obvious that God was working in Cornelius' heart. You see, what we see in Cornelius' life is he and his household are God-fearers. They had not yet had the opportunity to turn from sin and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. They needed to hear the gospel message. And so in, in preparation for that, Peter's being influenced by the Holy Spirit to send, or sorry, um, Cornelius is being sent by the, uh, being influenced by the Holy Spirit. He sends for Peter. Peter's on his way. Cornelius invites his whole household because he, know that, he knows that this is a message from God. This is something very, very important. Now, how does what Peter did and what Cornelius did, how does that influence our ministry today? Because it does influence the way we live our lives. The first thing we need to know is that when God calls us to do a specific ministry, we should never do that ministry alone. God calls us to work in teams. We see this principle throughout the Bible, and especially in the New Testament books of Corinthians. In those books, in, in, in Paul's letters to the Corinthian church, he often speaks of the church as a body. So you being an eye, me being an arm, someone else is a mouth. All of us together make up this beautiful, glorious body called the church. All of us with different gifts and talents and spiritual gifts from God. All of us working together as a team to glorify God and to expand the kingdom. You have a place to serve in the body of Christ. That's why none of us should do ministry alone. And, and we see that often in our church. For example... Uh, first, we're going to praise God because Oscar Rodriguez, whom we've been praying for, he got home this weekend, so he's at home now healing, so we're so thankful for that, and I know the family would appreciate, uh, appreciate your prayers for that. I never see Oscar working alone. Rarely do I see that man in this, uh, on this campus alone. He's always got one or two folks with him doing that work. And another person, um, and Oscar's always growing his team. If, if he figures out that you can do anything with your hands and working in this facility, he's going to find you and recruit you. Someone else that's very good at that is Miss Alice, who's here today. She's in the back. I think all of us are on the fellowship team, Miss Alice, right? If you didn't know, she already recruited you, and eventually you're going to be asked to do something. And that's why we can have such an awesome time fellowshipping, because we have such, she does a great job equipping and preparing her team for that. All of us should look to that example, uh, should look to Peter's example when he took those six men with him uh, to do his ministry at Cornelius' house. None of us should do ministry alone because God's called us to work in teams. Listen, uh, on a, at a more very basic, um, you know, uh, uh, applicable level, a level applicable to this church, this church is growing, right? We have every week new people coming here. We always have people in our new members class. And, and we need more volunteers to serve more people who are coming. We are right now recruiting people to serve in our nursery. We're trying to get a nursery started. We're starting to get some more children's ministry started. Because we have more kids. Because we have more people here. There are no bench warmers on Jesus' team. Do you know that? Where are you all sitting right now? You're sitting on benches. 
And it's good that you're here. We want to be here, worshiping God, right? But this isn't it. This is a part of what God has in store for you. For you to serve on a team, be a part of the body of Christ, using your skills and gifts and talents. We were not saved to sit. We were saved to serve the body. And we need what you have to offer. God designed you to do something special. Where is your place on the team? Where is your place on the team here at Fifth Street Baptist Church? Now, the second thing we learn from Peter. When the Lord opens up a door of opportunity for you to tell others about Jesus, do it. When the Lord opens up an opportunity for you to tell others about Jesus, do it. It's very simple. Peter heard a command from the Lord, he followed it, and eventually he's going to share the gospel. Now, as believers, we struggle with that sometimes, right? We, we're worried about what's going to happen. We're worried about, will they, will they accept what I have to say? Will they make fun of me? Will they reject me? Let me just sort of free you up from these expectations and these doubts in your heart, right? It's not your job to convince anyone to follow Jesus. Did you know that? It is your job to tell people about Jesus, just to share the gospel with them. Share about what Jesus has done and is doing in your life. The Holy Spirit does the heavy lifting. He's the one that compels people to repent of sin and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's just our job to share the good news about him. And we're supposed to do that through a number of simple acts of obedience. If we look at this example of Peter and Cornelius, what we see are a number of simple acts of obedience, right? They were asked to do some, some, maybe some radical things, but the things that God asked them to do were simple, right? What did, what did God ask Peter to do? Get up from this roof, go downstairs, and meet these men at the gate and go with them. What did God ask? That, that's what he asked Peter to do. What did he ask Cornelius to do? Send three men to Joppa and, and ask this guy to come to your house. All that is very simple, compared to many of the decisions that we have to make these days. So sharing the gospel and, and following Jesus into an event where you're able to tell someone about Jesus is a number of very simple acts of obedience. Now, just in case you're thinking maybe, you know, that's really just for the pastor to do. I can't do it. I'm here to tell you today that you can do it. And by the way, you have everything inside of you, if you're a believer, to do it. You have a story to tell about what Jesus did in your heart on that day when you were saved. A simple story. A radical, life-changing story about how you met Jesus. The calling from him on our lives is simply to share it. It reminds me of my, my um, dissertation project that I did with a church in um, St. Petersburg, Florida. Northeast Park Baptist Church. Pastor Sam is their pastor. Um, and when I went there, um, he was really struggling with trying to get his folks equipped and activated to share the gospel. He wanted to see people saved. He wanted to fill up their baptistry and get people baptized and just celebrate people coming into the kingdom of God. And so I, I went to him and said, hey, for my dissertation project, I want to go and train a church to share the gospel and then uh, do that over six weeks. And then we're going to measure how they share the gospel and what God does. And so we went in and we, we, we worked for six weeks. And I can tell you week number one, when I met with the church, the people there, there were about 21 people. And I, and I showed them from Scripture how to be an obedient believer, you got to share the gospel. Like, God calls us to do that. That's a part of the life of a Christian. 
telling people about Jesus. Oh man, I was not the most popular guy in the room on that night. There, you know, they, we had cookies together, but it was not a sweet time of fellowship after uh, that time of teaching. And then I came back the next week and shared some more. And then week three shared some more and, and continued to show them how God equipped them to share the gospel. And, and we started to pray for people by name in that group and just pray over there and labor over them in prayer and ask God to open up doors. And you know what happened over six weeks? God did open up doors. People who had never shared their faith before, not ever, were sharing the gospel. Folks, that's a win for the kingdom right there. And you know what? At the end of that six weeks, 18 people had been saved by simple acts of obedience, praying for the lost, looking for God to open up doors, and when he opened up those doors, simply walking through them and telling them about how Jesus changed your life. This is exactly what Peter does in this moment, and this is what God calls us to do. Something else we're going to learn next. Never count anyone out. We talked a little bit about this last week. It's easy for us to count people out of the kingdom who aren't there yet, right? The person maybe that you've talked with 25 times, and you think in your heart, that person is never going to follow Jesus. Or that maybe the, the person um, who, who lives such an a, a unbiblical, ungodly lifestyle, that person will never be saved. They'll have to give up this and this and this. God's going to call them down this path of righteousness. They'll never do it. What we're going to learn next is never to count anybody out. As long as someone is breathing and has a heartbeat, they can be saved. Okay? And their life can be radically changed. Because God's done that in some of your lives, hasn't he? God did that in my life. And he can do it in someone else's life. Look at verse 25. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, Stand up, I myself am also a man. Cornelius doesn't know what's going on. He had this vision from God. God said there's this guy who's going to come. He's going to share a message with you. For all Cornelius knows, this could be an angel from God. So he, he just, uh, out of respect, he does all he knows to do. I love God. I'm worshipping him. This is a messenger. I'm going to worship him too. Um, so he does what, what he thinks he's supposed to do. Peter, of course, corrects him. I'm a man just like you. Don't worship me. We worship God only, okay? Stand up. So he stands up. Verse 27 continues. While they were talking with him, he went in and found a large gathering of people. Remember, Cornelius not only went to, to meet with Peter, he gathered his whole house, all of his household, all together to hear this message. Verse 28. Peter said to them, You know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner, but God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean, that's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So may I ask you why you sent for me? So there's a bunch of interesting things, tidbits of information and, and things that are applicable to our lives in this part of the text. First, Cornelius is obedient to God. He calls for Peter. Peter comes. Cornelius brings his whole family, his whole household to hear this message. Peter comes in and he addresses the elephant in the room. You all know that I'm a Jew, and you all know that I'm not supposed to even be in this house. Now, why would he say that? Well, it's very interesting and saddening at the same time. It was a Jewish custom, not part of the law, not biblical. It wasn't in here. They had their own custom, social custom for the Jews, not to mix with Gentiles. 
for fear that they might become ceremonially unclean. And so Peter's addressing the fact that, you know, socially you all know that I'm not supposed to be even in this room with you. But Peter had a vision. And in that vision, what he learned from that wasn't just about eating food. It was about spreading the gospel and spending time and fellowshipping with Gentiles. What Peter learned from God in that moment is not to call anything unclean, that God's declared clean. What has God declared? That Jesus also came and died for the Gentile people. And so Peter's now in this room, and he addresses that. Now, what makes me sad about that is they had made up a social custom that kept them, that prevented them from socializing and fellowshipping and sharing the gospel with a whole people group in the world, the Gentiles, the non-Jews. But Peter's willing to stand and be obedient to God, even in the midst of what could be social persecution for spending time with Gentile people. And then what we learn here from Peter in his example is God's mission trumps our tradition. Now this one is like a knife that will penetrate into our hearts. God's mission trumps our tradition. Now how does that apply to us? We must be willing to break our unbiblical traditions when Jesus compels us to do it. We have all kinds of social traditions as a people, as a church. Things we do because of who we are and the culture we were raised in. They're not addressed in the Bible. They're things that we identify as a tradition. Uh, we have coffee in the foyer. That's a tradition now. We do that every Sunday. You know, We wear certain types of, of clothing. Uh, we, we speak in certain ways. We have all kinds of traditions and, and cultural nuances that aren't biblical. They're not necessarily bad. But what Peter's going to teach us first is there are going to be times in the life of our church when Jesus is going to call us to break with tradition in order to be more effective for the gospel. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to submit to his authority and recognize that God's mission trumps or overcomes our traditions? God's mission trumps our traditions. Am I willing and ready to walk away from tradition for the effectiveness of Jesus' mission. And then second, what Peter teaches us is we're never supposed to count anybody out. Never count anybody out. I want to show you an example. Augie, do we have those pictures on the next slide there? There they are. Okay, you probably don't recognize either of those two good-looking guys there. The one on the right is D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, who's named uh, the namesake of Moody Bible Church in Chicago, which is a big megachurch, as well as a school of higher education in the Chicago area, is one of the premier and most well-known evangelists of the 19th century. He has been, was known, as they, they counted up you know, what he did as an evangelist and preacher, to have shared the gospel in front of over 100 million people while he was alive. And he only lived to be 63, 62, 63 years old. That's D.L. Moody. Now, D.L. Moody was not raised in the church. He was not like the son of the church and the evangelical movement. Uh, he was raised in a Unitarian home. His dad died when he was a very young man. Uh, he left his mother with uh, a lot of kids, with uh, kids on the way, as well as a bunch of debt. And so Moody, as a young man, was only able to go to college through fourth grade. He went to fourth grade. He lived up in Massachusetts, and then he went to work. 
uh, so he could pay, uh, the, help pay the bills uh, for his family. Well, when he became 17, his uh, mom allowed him to leave the house. He went to stay with an uncle in Boston who owned a shoe store. So he goes to his uncle's in Boston. One of the caveats, however, was if you're going to come and live in my house, you're going to go to church with me. He was a congregationalist, so they went and they taught and learned the Bible there. So Moody goes to his uncle's church. He's still kind of a rabble-rouser, but he's a very good shoe salesman. So he goes to church, and then he works for his uncle's uh, shoe store, and he's very good at it. And very, at a very young age, he declares, I'm going to make $100,000. That's my mark on this world. I'm not going to be uh, in trouble with money. I'm going to take care of my mama. I'm going to make $100,000. And he was a bright, brilliant, good salesman. Everyone thought, yeah, he might be able to do that. So he meets this guy, Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball is the Sunday school teacher at his uncle's church. Not an especially well-known man. In fact, this is all we know about him is his relationship to, to Dwight D.L. Moody. Edward Kimball takes Moody and takes him into his class and starts teaching him the Bible as a 17-year-old man. And he can't get Moody out of his heart. He's praying for him, praying that he'll come to know Jesus, that he'll be saved. One day, Edward Kimball obeys the Lord, goes to the shoe shop where Moody's working, and he grabs him by the shoulder, pulls him in, he shares the gospel with him. And Moody says in a later writing, I didn't even know I had a soul until Kimball, until Edward told me that I was going to go to hell. And in that moment, Edward Kimball shares the gospel with D.L. Moody, and D.L. Moody goes on eventually to be one of the most well-known evangelists, leading millions of people to faith in Jesus. If you would have met D.L. Moody on the street, you would have counted him out. He says to himself. And yet Edward Kimball didn't. He obeyed the Lord, followed the calling, shared the gospel. D.L. Moody was saved. So, so far, Peter shows us two important things. The first is that we serve together and we walk through open doors. We serve the Lord together and we walk through open doors. And number two, we must be willing and ready, ready and willing to break traditions when they conflict with the mission of Christ and to never, ever count anybody out. And then finally, in this last part, we're going to learn to follow the leading of the Lord. Very simply, Follow the leading of the Lord. Look at verse 30. Cornelius replied, Four days ago at this hour at three in the afternoon, I was praying in my house. Just then, a man in dazzling clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your acts of charity have been remembered in God's sight. Therefore, send someone to Joppa and invite Simon here, who is also named Peter. He is lodging in Simon the Tanner's house by the sea, so I immediately sent for you, and it was good for you to come. So now we are all in the presence of God to hear everything you have been commanded by the Lord. It's interesting, these guys, they keep telling the story of the visions, right? So we've read now through 9 and 10 these, these, uh, these um, descriptions of the vision. Why do they keep saying the vision over and over and over again? Well, let me ask you. If you saw an angel, would you tell the story? Right? Some of y'all catch big fish and you tell the story 45 times, Mr. Ed. 
right? Or some of you, you have something great happen in your life, you tell everybody in church. I hear you telling the story. Some grandson or grandchild, granddaughter goes to college, you tell the story. I'm not surprised that they told it over and over again. They're giving glory to God, and that's important. And that's why they're doing that. So God gets the credit for everything that's happening here in the text. Let me just point out Cornelius' actions. Cornelius is a centurion, so he knows how to give orders. He's in the service. He knows how to obey orders. What we see him doing here is taking simple steps of obedience. Just doing the next right thing. Sometimes in our Christian walk, we get overwhelmed, don't we? Anybody get overwhelmed? Right? In difficult situations, in the, the times that we live in today, it's, these are not easy times to be a believer. And sometimes we're overwhelmed, like, oh, I don't know, I got these eight things going on in my life, and I don't know what to do about this and this and this. When, in fact, church, God's just called us just to take the next right step. The next simple act of obedience is what pleases God. How does that apply to our lives today? Well, I think you guys, you know where I'm going with this. Our lives honor the Lord when we honor Him, when we obey Him. D.L. Moody, ultimately we called by God, he had $12,000 in the bank, and during that time, that was a whole lot of money. He had a mama and a bunch of siblings to take care of, and he was doing well for himself, and he was expected to make a whole lot more money. And then he had an interesting meeting with Jesus. And Jesus said, I don't want you to sell shoes anymore. I want you to go out and I want you to, I want you to tell people about Jesus. I want you to be a full-time evangelist. I want you to give all that up and go out and serve the kingdom full-time. So D.L. Moody, in a simple act of obedience, radically changed his life. He left his business, a very lucrative business, and he started to share the gospel. First in the Sunday school uh, system that he started at his church. Then he started a church. Then he started sharing the gospel as an evangelist, and then eventually he went out and started sharing the gospel all around the world, over 100 million people. That didn't just happen all at once. It happened because he was willing to take simple steps of obedience to do the next right thing, which was demonstrated in his life when Kimball shared the gospel with him at that shoe store. That was the beginning of a wonderful, wonderful adventure. Listen to what D.L. Moody said. There are many of us that are willing to do great things for the Lord. Anybody in here want to be used by God to do great things? Anybody? All, all of us, right? I don't want to be used by God for just little things. I want to be used by God for great things. I want thousands of people to be saved. I want to influence generations of people, right? D.L. Moody says, many of us are willing, willing to do great things for God, but few of us are willing to do little things. Right? If we want to be used by God to do great things, we've got to be willing to be used by Him to do little things. Willing to take simple steps of obedience. Because the ones that God used to do great things, He used first to do little things. If we want to be used by Him, we need to be willing to take simple steps of obedience. That, that could be a number of things. For you, maybe today, it's committing to love the Lord with all your heart. Just give your life over to Jesus and be saved today. 
Maybe loving others as yourself. Maybe a commitment to, to be at church every Sunday. Maybe for men, maybe the calling for you that those of you who are married is I'm, I'm going to do what the Bible says. I'm going to love my wife as Jesus loved the church. Or maybe for you women, you, you ladies in here who are married today, maybe you're going to commit to submit to the spiritual authority of your husbands. Maybe for others, it's to use your words to build people up. Maybe you're going to commit that today. Not to use your words to lie or gossip or hurt other people. You see, Cornelius' simple steps of obedience changed everything. The entire Gentile world was invited into the family of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. You see, a Christian life is characterized by simple steps of obedience. And church, that is a life that can change the world. If you want to be used to change the world, it starts with a simple step of obedience. And so Peter, in his interaction with Cornelius, taught us three things today and compels us to do three things as well. Serve together and walk through open doors. Don't do any ministry alone. Find a buddy. Take him or her with you into that ministry. Teach them how to do it. The same way that our children talked about being taught to tie their shoes. You can teach someone else to do what you do as you serve the Lord. And walk through open doors. Be prepared to see what God's called you to do. And have the faith and the courage just to walk through that open door. Break traditions when they conflict with the mission of Jesus and never count anybody out. Finally, follow the leadership of the Lord. I don't know what God's called you to do. I do know that when the word is preached, that it does not return void. So I'm going I'm to invite our, our worship team to come up to the platform now. We're going to have a time of invitation. This is a time for you to respond to what God's doing in your hearts. In just a minute, I'm going to invite everybody to stand up. We're going to sing a song together. And you're going to have an opportunity to respond to what God's doing in your life or perhaps what he's calling you to do with your life. Some of you perhaps may need to be saved today. When we start singing, come down here so I can pray with you. Show you the way to Jesus. Others of you need to step forward and, and do some kind of act of obedience. Maybe joining this church or being baptized or, or becoming a part of a ministry of this church. Or maybe you need to forgive someone of something that you're carrying around, some kind of burden. Whatever it is, this is our time to respond to whatever it is that God's Holy Spirit is doing in your heart. I want to invite you all to stand now. If you would stand with me in a moment, we're going to sing. But first, I want to pray. Heavenly Father, I pray over this body. I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to respond by faith to whatever it is that you are calling us to do. Help us to have courage, to be ready and willing to be used by you in mighty ways, but first in small ways, by taking that initial step of obedience, whatever it is. We love you, Lord. We trust you in this, this moment, this time, in this moment of decision. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Uh, just a reminder, our men's and women's Bible studies are, are going on on Monday nights at 6.30. Uh, we have plenty of room. We would love for you guys to join us. Uh, with that, let's go to the Lord in prayer for our offering. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for all that you do. Lord, you, you do the, the biggest things and we don't realize them, Lord, and you do the smallest things and we don't realize them, Lord, but you are continually faithful. You're continually with us. You continually watch over us, Lord. And Lord, we ask that as, as uh, the offerings and the tithes are given today, Lord, that they're given uh, with an open heart and an open hand, Lord, that, that uh, you will receive them, that they will be fragrant and beautiful to you, Lord. Lord, that we can find opportunities to serve you, that, that, are, that are, we don't just speak with uh, the things that you give us, Lord, but you rather you speak with everything about us, Lord, that we're, that we're fully all in, that we're not here just to warm up you, but rather to be ready to go whenever you call. Lord, we thank you for all that you give us. We thank you for the many blessings. Lord, I ask that you bless over the families that are represented here and, and help them to go out and be bold in your name, Lord. Help them to proclaim you wherever they go so that uh, this world is changed by your grace and your mercy alone. Lord, we thank you for all that you give us and all that you bless us with. And all God's people said...